This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Skull Splitter Dice. Go to SkullSplitterDice.com and use the coupon code TOMESHOW, all lowercase, for 15% off your first order. And by listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links, and for becoming patrons at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 342, we're going to address recent issues that have come to light regarding diversity in D&D and at Wizards of the Coast. Joining us for this episode are three guests we've never had on before, and I'm not sure we've ever had this many new guests all in one episode. And for what it's worth, we also did reach out to the folks at Wizards of the Coast for the interview, and they explained they're not ready to do interviews on this topic yet. So first up, we'd like to introduce to you Sharif Jackson, who you might know from the Rivals of Waterdeep podcast that is also streamed on Twitch and to be found on YouTube. He's an advocate for diversity in STEM education, and you can find him at SharifJackson.com and on Twitter and Instagram as at Sharif Jackson. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Next up, we have Leona Maple, the founder of Maple Intersectional Consulting and a sensitivity reader. She loves to make the world a more inclusive place, and one of the ways she does that is through her all-BIPOC gaming stream, Vibrant, Visible, and Victorious. Find her on Twitter at Maple. I hope you enjoy your visit to the Tome Show. Thank you. And lastly, but of course not leastly, we have Alex Agunas, a freelancer for Paizo and other places, and a regular contributor to No Direction, who recently wrote an article titled The Rot in RPGs on Race and Racism in Tabletop RPGs. We are happy to have you, and thank you for coming on as well. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. And I want to remind folks that if you want to see Tome Show recordings live and unedited, edit you can watch us record at twitch.tv slash the Tome Show or a few weeks after on YouTube. And before we get into the discussion, let's mention our, our sponsor real quick, SkullSplitterDice.com, where new customers can use the coupon code TOMESHOW for 15% off, but you can also enter to win a bunch of great free stuff from them through us. This month, you have to be following the Tome Show on Facebook, where... Um, there are well-marked contest posts describing how to win, although that's probably only useful information for folks watching the stream right now, um, because by the time the audio comes out, it'll probably be the next month, at which point you're going to be, want to be uh, joining us on our Discord channel. So make sure that you, you get that link from us, and, and we will uh, enjoy seeing you there. And the month after that, you should join us on the Twitch stream, because there'll be a bunch of dice and, and things being given away through our Twitch stream at during that month, which is September. Months and days and time is hard right now. (laughs) (laughs) We're still in March, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. So so now on to the discussion. D&D community, um, let's just be honest, has always had issues with feeling unwelcoming to some people. Uh, Recent events have brought to light such issues are still part of the culture in the game and in the company that makes it. Uh, So in this episode, we're going to ask our panelists to talk about Talk to us about some of their thoughts on the intersection of diversity and D&D. So I thought it would be good to, to do a little get to know you since we have uh, three-fifths of our, of our crew is uh, new to us and, and the other two-fifths are our regular hosts, right? 
so I wanted to start off by just asking everybody, uh, what was your first version of D&D, and what is your favorite version of D&D? Uh, so if uh, Leona would like to get us started, Leona, what's your first version of D&D, and what's your favorite version? Sure. Um, my first version of D&D is actually 5e. Uh, I'm actually fairly new to tabletop RPGs, um, so I can't really say it because I haven't tried any of the other versions. So I suppose 5e is my favorite version, that's all I know. Nice. Okay. Uh, Alex, what about you? Uh, my first version was 3.5, uh, and my current favorite is Starfinder. I don't know if that counts because it's not made by the same company, but definitely my favorite D20 game. Very good. Yeah, I, I think uh, Pathfinder, Starfinder fits the category of being a version of D&D. All right, Sharif, first version, favorite version? Um, I, I played a long time ago, I guess my technical first time, but it was so long ago and it didn't really last beyond a few hours. Um, that I don't remember what version that I was, but it was maybe 30 years ago oh, wow. or like 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my first, I guess, thing like s- substantial version is 5e as well. Um, so I, you know, and that's basically when I started playing with this current group um, t- two years ago. Um, so like 5e is def- I definitely prefer it over the version I played uh, previously in the, uh, you know, 1980s. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, no, I started in the in the 80s as well with second edition, um, and and have played all the way through. And and I would say by far my favorite has is fifth edition as well. So, Tracy, do you want to tell us about your first and, and favorite? Yeah. So I started with fourth edition. I was I grew up around people who played, but that was the first time I've actually rolled dice. And for a favorite version. Okay, if we're allowed doing uh, Starfinder, I'm gonna say the game we played, Jeff, that the Tome Show game oh, that we did for that special episode. The special episode back in what was that episode 100 or 200 or whatever it was. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, right before Fifth Edition came out, because uh-huh. um, I like a mixture of both Fourth and Fifth. Mm. Right. Nice. Cool. All right, so so let's get into it. I've sort of organized our topics for this conversation around sort of recent issues that have come to light and recent I don't know where we want to go with recent issues there are things that that are recent as in weeks ago there are things that are recent as in in the last year and I would say there are things that are recent as in you know the beginnings of fifth edition D and and beyond right I mean you could go <laughs> you could set that timeline and start it wherever you'd like um, and then I, then I thought we would talk about sort of the things that, that Wizards of the Coast has, has done, uh, to try to address, um, issues of inclusivity and diversity, uh, and then sort of wrap up with a conversation about, about where our panelists think we should be going, or they should be going, uh, Wizards of the Coast and D&D should be going in the future. So let's start by talking about, um, recent issues that have come to light. Um... Where do we want to start? Let's start relatively recently. So there was a there was a story recently um, that came out with um, Orion, who was working at Wizards of the Coast, uh, left Wizards of the Coast a few weeks ago, and and publicly sort of 
posted this open letter describing the the hostility that he felt within the company and and the um, the failures uh, that the company has in terms of being open and welcoming to um, and inclusive of, of people who don't fit the sort of stereotype D and D player, a sort of white male perspective. So I'm, I want to start with that and let's talk about Orion uh, and that situation and sort of what do people think about that? Yeah. And just, um, I think it was, they posted a thing on Twitter right around the second, mm-hmm. was it of July? Um, uh, listing a lot of the issues they had in terms of, you know, and I'll just talk about the specifics real quick, if that's okay. You know, being there for five months and realizing they weren't getting um, work hand like assigned to them, they had to keep asking for work. Uh, feeling that the people close to them uh, were, you know, trying to help them and trying to do diversity, but often feeling that there were uh, other folks standing in the way of that. Uh, particularly more leadership level uh, and really just feeling like a diversity hire, right? (laughs) Which uh, often is just not a great place to be in. And somebody in the chat pointed out that I I mispronounced Orion and I did not mean to, and I I caught myself doing it right after I did it. So I apologize for that right off the bat. I'm not sure what the discussion needs to be. I think in general, everyone, including wizards, agrees that it was a messed up situation. I mean, um, you know, and, uh, you know, someone, you know, like you never want somebody to depart your organization in a negative way, you know, Um, and that's both from the ethical way and the like legal HR type way, you know. Um, So I think that, you know, like uh, I think he spoke the truth man. like, you know, sorry, they spoke the truth and, um, you know, I don't think there's any reason to believe that anything that they put should be in question, especially after Wizards, you know, issued a public apology, you know, um, and, you know, um, I was lucky enough to to like be with them on a previous um, uh, on like a uh, a uh, a uh, game with a Star Star Trek adventure. So we played with like Tanya to pass. Um, and, and like a couple of like other, 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 other folks. So being in a game with them, I know how passionate they are about the game. And like, I've like played their like previous, like, like the, like design stuff that like they add up. Um, so I think it's, it's a sad situation, um, you know, um, on like both sides, you know, as uh, they said in their letter, like they said, you know, I took this for like two reasons for the dream job, you know, and to help D&D be more welcoming to like people that like felt warm by it. Um, and the fact that, you know, after so little time that, you know, that like Orion felt that this is not possible is very, very sad. Definitely. I, I think that Orion's experiences, unfortunately, speak to a larger truth about not even just the tabletop RPG game industry, but the game industry as a whole. Um I, I, I'm, you know, I'm speaking as somebody who, frankly, has a lot of privilege here. But uh, when I read it, I, the first thing that crossed into my mind was that this, this doesn't surprise me. This seems like something that is very 
uh, frequently occurring in the games industry. And I think that was probably the hardest part to, to look at that and be disgusted, but also be like, that doesn't, that doesn't shock me. It's incredibly frustrating and disappointing. And I, at the same time, I totally agree. Like I, I, I'm not surprised at this point. Um, Watsy takes, you know, the first step, but it's only ever the first step and it's never good enough. Um, and so I'm incredibly frustrated because what happened to Orion should not have happened. That was someone who could have really shook up D and D really made some serious change. Um, and that didn't happen. And I'm still angry about it. Um, honest to God, um, Hasbro, Watsi, they need to sit down. The executives need to sit down and really think about becoming a values led organization. Or if they don't want to be, then fine. You know, you can just come out and say, hey, we care about our bottom line more than we care about the actual people and about being progressive. Um, yeah, I went there. Um, but they, it needs to happen from the top down and there needs to be significant change because it's not going to change if they, if they're not taking it seriously, you know? They had the the most golden opportunity there, and they blew it. Mm-hmm. One of the things, too, that I didn't say earlier was that the result was Orion doesn't want to be part of, in some ways, at least right now, part of tabletop games anymore. They definitely don't want to work in that industry anymore. And I am... I'm, happy is not the right word. I am proud of them proud of them for writing that because it's something that is very hard to talk about and write because there's often this aura or desire to say it's not professional or you know professionalism prevents you from writing those sorts of things because this hasn't this has been going on for a while this sort of tampering down of voices and uh just grinding people out who are trying to make the right kind of change yeah totally Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's something that, you know, as someone that worked in corporate America for a while, um, it's not specific to, like, this industry, right? I think a lot of people forget that when, whether it's video games or tabletop games, these are still, like, corporate companies that are making this, and they still have similar attitudes and similar ways of doing business. And one thing that most marginalized folks will tell you that enter a corporate environment is even the companies that are good at recruiting people are not good at keeping people, you know, um, because they don't have that internal infrastructure to truly make it part of their corporate directives to have like diversity. It's more of like a, you know, um, like let's get as many people in because it looks good. We could say we have like this percentage of like people, but the real test is, you know, do you have the systems in place to hold, you know, um, people on the executive level and on the management levels and like all the levels accountable for the success of of these people, because it really is like a corporate failure if people not only leave, but leave in this kind of, you know, like I, I agree with you, Tracy, it was a brave thing because, you know, this was like a what they tell you not to do, like a bridge burning, you know, kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. but sometimes it gets to a point where. You know, you're like, look, it's like, it needs to be shared, you know. Right. And it, um, I hope it's okay to talk about it from my point of view because I, I used to do some freelancing for Wizards um, and some other companies and things like that. And uh, people who know me know that I, I had to step away for a while, much like Orion did, because 
it's hard to keep bringing these things up. And this was five years ago where I feel like we had even fewer tools and fewer support for it. Um, and so it it is super difficult to be in that position because it is career ending. Like at some point I had to decide I probably am not going to get writing anymore <laughs> and just say that this was more important. Um, but I, I hope that's not making it too much about me because I know there are other facets to this too. And I think that's why it's affecting me so much though, is that it's, it's across many facets. And I think it goes to a little bit to Alex's article um, that was about why there's a lot of this stuff in the fiction. And it's because the people haven't done the work to work through some of the stuff, how they think and what they think. And so it, it gets, it's often the stuff that we're, that probably most needs to change are those unchallenged assumptions that kind of just make their way into a fair amount of, of science fiction and fantasy writing. I know that's an overstatement, but it's the best way I have of trying to describe it. No, it's, it's an accurate summary of some of the points that I talk about in the article, definitely. So uh, we are nerdsmith in the chat uh, has some questions and I think some of these we'll we'll get to later on as well. But they mention this idea that there is conversation around the idea that that Watsi would like to see larger change and Hasbro sort of serves to put on the brakes. Um, and I'm curious what people think about that. Um, hmm. So from my experience working with professional companies, no matter where you go in an industry, when it comes to diversity, uh, there are going to be people who are progressive and are trying to push change. And there are going to be people who are barriers to progressive change. And I think that it is uh, very naive to assume that any one of the legal corporations involved is completely blameless. Um, I, I know that when we talk about Wizards of the Coast, you can point to some of the stuff that's been happening with Magic the Gathering within the past, you know, six months or so with some of the revelations that come out that's, that have come out about like the card art they've used. And uh, I'd be I'm very skeptical that there wasn't somebody who who would have known. So I, I don't think that we I think that it's dangerous to just let an, a company uh, not necessarily the people involved, but to let a company as a whole to just walk away from some of the problems that they're perpetuating. And I think, I think, um, if I remember Orion's um, writing on the subject, uh, they had similar thoughts that there were larger sort of systemic issues and cultural issues. Uh, that they dealt with at the company, um, and, and, and within Watsi, but there were also people within Watsi that they felt had the best of intentions at the very least, and that they considered to be mm-hmm. friends and, and allies in many ways. But I think, but I, I think Alex is right. I, I think it's not fair necessarily to let Watsi off the hook either. I mean, they've had, major hiring decisions, you know, with, with writers and developers and designers and what have you lately. Um, and, you know, and as much as I absolutely love and adore Dan Dillon, uh, you know, uh, he's another white guy, right? And there was an opportunity there to bring in somebody with a different perspective that they didn't 
already have. Um, so. Yeah, and there's been interesting things too, like it took freelancers speaking up and saying, I think they're mainly freelancers speaking up, and this is going back a few years and saying, hey, we don't feel like we're allowed to write certain types of characters, um, in particular with LGBTQ characters in our work. We, we think that's not going to be something that's accepted because we don't see it anywhere and we've heard rumors about this. And finally, when people like came out and said it, that's when they realized they had to have a statement that said they had to be clear and like go into panels and Gen Con and say, no, you know, we're a world, we welcome these types of characters in our in our setting. Um, and then, you know, uh, there's also been a it's just hard because there's those things where they, they don't for a long time, they didn't specifically say what they did want um, and people with little power but had some privilege and power in the situation had to be the ones that kept saying this so this has been going on for a long time and to say it's just Hasbro doesn't make sense to me with what I've experienced yeah I would agree with that I mean um, gaming in general you know it's been an issue um, like I said like video games tabletop games board games all that stuff it's been an issue for a long time um, so I would not put it on Hasbro. I think that's sort of an easy solution. And for these kind of like systemic cultural problems, people tend to try to latch on to something that they can make sense of and say, well, it's solved. Like we can blame this thing and, and it's done, you know, but this stuff takes a lot of work. It's hard. Um, it takes like self-reflection because we all participate in it because we're all part of, you know, this system, you know. Um, and it's, it's, it's easy to put the blame, I think on a, you know, on a larger company, but it's not always going to be like a hundred percent true, um, to, to what Alex said from his experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, do I think that there's progressive people at, at Watsi? Absolutely. I think there's some great people there. Um, do I think that they want to impact real change? Absolutely. Um, but the problem is systemic, right? And it's from the top and it's all the way down. And that's, it's a culture problem, right? You have to change the culture. You have to, you have to invest in the education and the awareness. You have to really care about those things from the top of your organization in order to make a change. Um, so I, I think, you know, I think these employees that are progressive are absolutely trying their very, very best. Um, but it's, yeah, no one is, everyone is complicit, I think, at this point, you know, I not to not to um, bash any one particular employee in particular. I think that, you know, people are genuinely trying and I've seen such incredible work and I've worked with amazing people too. Um, But it's systemic, right? And so until the organization as a whole decides that it wants to invest in change, there's only so much individuals can do. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. So I'm I'm I want to go into transition from that conversation into um, into how that plays out in the products that Watsi produces. That they have a culture um, that is problematic towards some people. How does that? show up in in the products that they produce 
Oh, <laughs> my article is largely about that, Jeff. Are you sure you want to get me started on a rant? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, um, so I, I, I needed tons of uh, nudging. I'm I, definitely. Um, so when you talk about a lot of, I, I, I can speak mostly to the content rather than to the actual like. Uh, movements of the organization itself. But when you're talking about a lot of the stuff that makes its way into our fantasy role-playing games, a lot of it tends to be, it tends to fall into a category of uh, some white person decided like, oh, I want to make a thing and I want to make it based off of this other culture because it'll be exotic. And then they go and they look at this other culture and they decide to start lifting names. And usually they start lifting names in places that are inappropriate for them to lift. And then as a result, you get a entry into a, usually a monster manual because it's always the bad guy. It's never someone who's a hero. And you get this content that is essentially boiled. Because when we get down to it, one of the systemic issues with D&D is that it is essentially a game of finding the other and murdering them for their stuff, which honestly speaks to colonialism, if we're getting right down to it. And um, then you take all of these monsters that you base on other cultures, and you're basically telling your heroes, let's go murder these other people from other that are based off of other cultures. Um, one example that I talk about that I've gotten a lot of feedback on my article that people had never considered is a monster that uh, Gary Gygax himself wrote back in uh, Keep on the Borderlands called the Vegapygmy. And the Vegapygmies are these squat little mold people. And the way that they're they're drawn is that they're drawn as you know they're plants, but they're drawn as these humanoid creatures who run around wearing uh, piecemeal armor, usually leathers and bones, uh, co completely covered in fetishes, usually with spears and often with uh, other African symbolism like dreadlocks and whatnot. And you know it's like oh that's kind of not cool, but then like the primary thing the veggie pygmies do is that they kill people and then they cannibalize their bodies in order to create more veggie pygmies. And then when you take the word and like it's horrible, it's a monster, but then you take that word apart, Veggie Pygmy, and you find that the word pygmy is largely associated with a it's it's a horrible uh Western uh, name for a tribe in Africa uh, that, you know, they were associated with all of these same negular, negative stereotypes. And like, you're like, oh, this is really rotten. This is really gross. And this is sort of how these inherently racist ideas sneak their way into D&D, usually because somebody looked at something and was not was not inclusive and was not sensitive and decided to just bring it over. And they sold it to you. And now your monsters are killing these very thinly uh, referenced um, creatures that are based off of an African culture. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, uh, you know, everything, like a lot of storytelling in general, um, you know, from, you know, concepts of thing, you know, that we consider fantasy, like, mainly based on, you know, sort of like, you know, like a European idea of fantasy, right, um, does tend to demonize other cultures and put it very explicitly in the monsters. And I mean, this comes from, you know, people telling their kids about nightmares, about things they need to watch out for from way back, you know, when you're talking about other cultures that are not part of that. So, yeah, I think that all that feeds into, you know, it's a very long, centuries-long, like, mentality, right, that people don't think that don't even think twice about because it just is, you know? So I think that, you know, all that c comes into play, you know, in sort of the back of people's minds, like the, like their subconscious that they're designing stuff. 
And also specifically tying it to the Orion-like situation is, you know, it's been proven study after study that no matter what kind of company you have, the more perspectives you have, the better product that you get. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're designing cars, whether you're, you know, like releasing services, whether you're a hospital, like it doesn't matter. Like the more perspectives from people with different life experiences, the better product that you're going to get. So if you have organizations that are homogeneous, you're just not going to get products that are as strong, you know, and that affects WOTC, that affects Hasbro, that affects any company, you know, that does not have, you know, a uh, body that reflects, you know, how the world actually is, especially on the executive level. Mm Mm-hmm. Because in particular, executives, they obviously there's still like that social capital idea, but every time someone much lower on the in the hierarchy speaks up, they're using tons more social capital, or at least they have so little to start with that they're using a greater percentage of it every time they speak up. So after a while, it becomes uh, difficult to. And they don't have any authority or power to try to bring about change, which we I know we talked about earlier. Uh, it's so hard for an individual, particularly a non-executive individual, to affect the kind of change that needs to happen. Um, I missed the actual question, but um, talking about like colonialism and all of that, I, I think about how there's just so many opportunities now and there's been so many missed opportunities for um really good work to be done um and that that's another thing that frustrates me sometimes and that was actually the reason why i got into sensitivity reading in the first place was because i was tired and frustrated you know i i wanted to see less problematic things and i wanted to see improvements and i think there's such a wealth of people now that you can bring onto your company or hire a sensitivity reader you could do you could do it either way um but like sherry said it's the more diverse your company is the better your product is going to be um and there's just no excuse for that now And since this is a D&D podcast specifically, you know, there are a lot of a lot of tabletop RPGs out there and a lot of them are small and don't have the resources that a company that is backed by the world's largest, you know, toy and game distributor and producer has like, you know, when when you talk about a company that's like one dude in a basement making a game, it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe you didn't have the resources to make this better. Go do a better job. But then it's like you're talking about a company like, you know, Wizards the coast that's backed by hasbro at what point is the ignorance malicious you know mm-hmm. like they they absolutely have the resources to do better so let's let's take that conversation about sort of the way the representation in the company and the culture of the company sort of re- is reflected in the um in the products that they create and 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 Turn the the timeline back a little a little ways and talk about sort of the legacy products, right? There's a lot of older things um, that are clearly either pseudo European exclusively in their in their scope, or are not, but 
incredibly stereotypical in their approach to depicting uh, other cultures. Uh, and some of those are still available for sale. Uh, how do we feel about the existence of these legacy products um, that Wizards of the Coast sells? Uh, uh, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I know recently, like... Um, Daniel Kwan from Dungeon and and, and the Asians has been really, you know, he he's been like reading through a lot of their older stuff that's very anti-Asian, very like you know, uh, using Oriental and all these other words, just like very like freely and having all these like very, um, you know, uh, very stereotype characters and like situations. So he's really like you know he's been kind of ramping, and Watsi did add a disclaimer to some of the older products and they also you know they released like a diversity statement where they said we're gonna rethink you know how we handle that kind of stuff um but in reality in the same way that i wouldn't want somebody selling stuff from disney's song of the south or looney tunes like cartoons that had like racist depictions of native americans or or, like african-americans i wouldn't want them to still air that stuff or sell it like, hey, this is history, you know, um, because, you know, um, it's still going to exist in the annals of history. If you look up, you know, the history or the wiki or whatever, it'll still be there. That doesn't mean you have to actively sell it and make and make like the money off of it. So, you know, um, you know, and this conversation has been coming up a lot with me specifically a little bit outside of a D&D with a lot of the conversation about like Confederate monuments and stuff like that. It's like this -hmm. stuff will exist in museums and in history. There's no erasure that this ever happened, but it's like the outright support and glorification of something that is like the issue. So I would prefer if this stuff was just removed like completely, you can still acknowledge it, you know, on the website or if you have like a history thing, like you can still acknowledge it there. But the, you know, I'm never a fan of, still offering, you know, this kind of stuff that is harmful to certain communities. Yep. Um, I want to second definitely checking out Asians Represent. They are definitely doing some incredible work. Um, So definitely check out their streams. Um, Yeah, no, stop selling it. Please stop selling it. You're doing so much more harm by having those products out there and people, you know, it doesn't matter what you stamp on the first page. It's still a whole book full of these ideas and concepts and racist phrases and things like that. And that causes so much harm um, because it reads as being okay. Um, And it's not, you know, and a statement isn't going to fix that, you know, so actively stopping production of these books, you know, and making it, not available to further that um, to further that harm is is the right thing to do. I think and, it's very go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, you go ahead, Alex. Um, I was going to say I think it's very telling that uh, Jeff asked this question and literally all three of us immediately thought of Oriental Adventures. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's such a problematic book. Well, in fairness, that's what the question was really trying to get at. So. <laughs> <laughs> question I kind of wanted or question idea I wanted to throw out there too and Alex I know you've done freelancing mm-hmm. other people may have too uh, one of the problems I see is so it's not just the selling of it and not it being 
constantly available in our ecosystem and people reading it and bringing this to the table, uh, maybe sometimes not knowing better or just not caring. But when you're given a freelance assignment, particularly what I'm concerned about is particularly right now they're saying that they want to revisit these things and make them quote unquote better. Um, so still talking about Chult or other places like that and, and trying to improve it. But the moment freelancers sit down and they have to look at the history and what's been written before. Um, so you immerse yourself in these words for a while and then you try to write something new. It totally funnels your vision unless you do a lot of effort to work against it, but the pay is not there to do that work, right? Like mm-hmm. you're getting maybe five cents or so a word and you need, so there's no clear direction of like what things are, and I don't know how it's going right now, but in the past I've seen there's no direction of like what things do we want, don't we want? Um, and also, again, just the fact that it, it affects your brain space as you're writing. It's hard to leave it aside. I think that uh, you're right, that that is the responsibility of the people who work in the system. Uh, Freelancers are contracted to provide a service, which is the writing. But ultimately, the people who need to sit down, go through the work, and figure out what's wrong with it, preferably by hiring sensitivity readers to like actually sit down and consult them on the issues is wizards of the coast themselves. When they go into a freelancer and say, Hey, you know, we need to fix Oriental adventures. They should tell you what they want. They should be able to say like, these are the places that we've figured out are not okay based on our, you know, contacting with the sensitivity writers, talking to people who are Asian, who are working in gaming and, you know, get that information and then give that like, that that's not that should never be a freelancer's responsibility because that's taking the systemic issues and crushing one person with it when the entire system needs to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think D and D the problems are so deeply baked in. Like, how many years old is this game? And you know, it's not like it's made that much progress in all the years that it's been going. It's so baked into the core foundations of of the world of the lore of the races of everything that it's to try and make it better kind of feels like a joke to me because there's only so much you're going to be able to do without you know you need to tear it apart and start over if you're really going to change it Mm -hmm. um and i don't think that that's something that they're going to want to do not after spell plague (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that was that was a hard thing because i was there so, and I hope this is okay to talk about, um, and I hope I don't get in trouble for it, but uh, before 5th edition was announced, they flew a bunch of bloggers out, and they announced it, like, they told us about it, and they wanted our, our feedback, and I've said this feedback out out loud before, so it, it's hopefully okay, but my first feedback for them, the most important thing, because they said that we are going to bring back, like, these, these stories, um, uh, because our story was missing from 4th edition quite a bit because it was so mechanics-based rather than the flavor and a cohesive, like, what we're trying to talk about at the table sort of thing. And I, the thing I said is, like, well, what are you going to bring back? Like, are you, are you, if you're just trying to bring back something that's a framework to make it easier to tell stories, that would be one thing. And I can see an argument that earlier editions made that. But you have to be so careful about the racism and sexism that's there. Um, and 
and like I had to say that right there in, in that meeting and I was pretty sure I was never going to get invited to a meeting again but yeah there's like it's it's so hard to to make that mind shift change and to not get caught back up into the thing that you're reading and have that sway you like oh this isn't that bad because you know I'm reading it now and it doesn't seem that bad because I've read so much garbage <laughs> sorry I don't it's, <laughs> you know it just becomes it becomes the water the air you breathe and the water you drink so yeah that reminds me of a line in uh, the Asian Represents uh, episode where they, I think they only got through the first six pages of Oriental Adventures in that first episode that I saw, but uh, <laughs> like the, he, he's going through it and he's like, this is awful, but it's not as bad as that last thing I just read, so I don't even know if I can be angry. And I, I, I think that's legit, Tracy. Yeah, well, because like, I used to read the, the female monsters from the old editions, and I'm like looking at the words there, and I'm like, those are the same words that the anti-feminist and misogynist of like the 80s were saying about real life women why yep. is this in here and everyone else was like not everyone else but a lot of people were just like Tracy why are you talking about this because like this is so long ago and it doesn't matter and yet it does because it just keeps getting regurgitated okay so <laughs> I did have one at least one other sort of recent issue um, to, that I wanted to to get sort of people's take on. And that's the, the Mike Merle situation. Um, so Mike Merle's was involved, um, what was it, a year or two ago, um, in sort of enabling uh, an abuser in the community to, to act out against um, various targets. Um, and then it was, he sort of, quietly disappeared and was no longer working on D&D anymore, but it turned out was maybe kind of, in recent news, turns out he was kind of working on some things related to D&D and maybe back involved in things. And there's a lot of people very upset and concerned about about that and, and that situation. And so I wanted to give um, the panel an opportunity to talk a little bit about that as well. So do we have particular thoughts on on Mike Merle's um, still being around and involved in in D and think I'd like a little more transparency. Um, I understand that, like in in some situations, you make mistakes, and there needs to be a plan of like accountability, and you need to be held responsible for your actions. Um, and if that's what Watsi was attempting to do, then uh, I don't agree with it. But all right, um, so I. Do I do I think that he needs to not be there? I think so. I don't think that this was handled well, and I think that you know people are calling for Mike Merle to be fired for a reason. Yeah, yeah. I think in general, uh, companies for a long time have tried to keep personnel issues very private to the company. You know, um, and I think that um, not saying you want everybody's business out in the street. But if somebody's business is affecting other people, especially in a negative way, mm -hmm. um, you can't just keep things as an internal manner. I mean, we're seeing that with companies like Ubisoft and stuff where people have kept this stuff for years, like, you know, hidden under, oh, it's an HR thing, I'll report to HR and that kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, when things are clearly out of pocket and affecting other people, I do think that, you know, 
um, you know, to uh, Leona's point, like there needs to be some some transparency with your uh, with your uh, customers, you know, with with the people that are supporting you, like financially. Um, and I think that you know, if you have a code of conduct and you have a person that has you know breached that code of conduct, then you got to act appropriately, like regardless of how high up they are, you know. And it shouldn't be like that person can choose to leave. It should be no that person has to leave because we're actually living this thing that we have on our website that is our code of conduct and that people sign when they sign these contracts to join these companies. It makes me very annoyed. I'm very fringent to this issue, but I've heard uh, and read a fair, you know, I, I probably read about as much as anyone else has. And, you know, it's just for me as like, I consider myself kind of like a D&D outsider looking in. Uh, I mentioned that my favorite game is Starfinder, which is in a, a Wizards of the Coast property. And for me, it just looks like, wow, you know, the person who is in charge of this company would rather protect that one person than make every single woman who was thinking about playing Dungeons and Dragons feel like welcome and safe in that game. Because like, if you have someone who's willing to do those sorts of things, like publicly, like, like, you know, out in the open, like, what are they going to write about? What are they going to put in? Is that really the content that you want to be showcasing? And then to not make any meaningful change about it for years. And then to try to essentially sweep yourself under the rug, it's, it's kind of gross. And at least I don't, you know, I, I, I wish I could, again, I wish I could say that I was surprised, but uh, in a certain in a certain way, this revelation has almost made Mike Merles like the poster child for Wizards of the Coast systemic problems. And, you know, I, I, I man, it, it's really tough to try to get a bunch of white people to police themselves when they're 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 causing problems like this. Uh, I mean, at this point, you're asking the person in charge to fire themselves. And it's like. I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm just jaded about it, but I, I just ugh. yeah. And and part of the problem is the lack of transparency is being used by the people um, that a fair amount of the community uh, feel are you know have been. A, I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure a good way to say this in part because I know that that one of the people in is suing people for anything that they say. Uh, not anything they say, but if they speak uh, poorly. So there are the accusations of abuse. Um, that same person is using the, the lack of transparency from the company to um, make themselves look good still, right? So mm -hmm. they, they say things that counteract other things I've heard. Um, and so it just makes it really hard for everyone to understand uh, what's going on and, and full disclosure um, I was one of the ones that spoke up about the consultancy issue uh, Merle's mentioned me specifically in a post on I believe it was G plus uh, and said I was emotional <laughs> uh, and so it becomes very hard to like really work through this and to make the community better when we can't talk about what really happened because it's it's not transparent and it's locked behind a veil of secrecy. And I know that's sometimes difficult for you to go back and, and revisit Tracy. So, so thank you for, for sharing. That. Yeah. And it's, and it's particularly hard with this, like, cause we know that uh, a number of people have been sued uh, in various venues over speaking up about it. Okay. So I think we're in an okay place with, you know, 
12-ish minutes left to, <laughs> to transition to to the the other uh, general themes that I that I wanted to address. Um, and that is Wizards of the Coast has made some efforts recently in recent you know months to address some th- issues um, in, in terms of they, they've announced that they're going to be making certain changes to, to the uh, depiction of races in the game. Um, they're going to go back and sort of um, change some of the language in reprints of some products from 5th edition. Um, they've had, uh, in recent years, their representation of, of uh, gender and sexuality has, has been apparent uh, in products. And then we already talked about how they've, they've thrown some disclaimers on some, some legacy products. Um, so I guess, in the interest of time, I want to give the, the panel an opportunity to talk about sort of the efforts that they've gone through, and we can maybe transition that and merge that into um, the the last section of uh, and what should they be doing, right? It, it, you know, where where are they at? How do we what, how do we how do you feel about what they've done, and where do you think they should go from from here? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think that you know, not to sound like a shill, but I think our show rivals a Waterdeep. Um, I think is a good addition to what they're trying to do. Um, you know, it's a show with an all PLC cast, um, and we, you know, have been together for um, t- two years, um, and you know, we've had support from you know certain parts of Wizards. Um, I don't know what their internal discussions are about us, but I do know that you know that we that that we definitely have like support, you know, from a certain part of that company. Um, but one thing that I've also, you know, had conversations with them is like, our show is great and, and I love being on it, but diversity, it should not be like a special show and like every show should be diverse, in my opinion. Like every, every time you're putting out a product that is to a wide base of like consumers, you should be trying to show as many different kinds of people as possible and it should be intentional. It shouldn't be like, well, let's see what applies and and see what happens, right? Like, it's got to be like, we're trying to show this game is for everybody, you know? Um, so my hope is that, you know, with other shows that have come and like other shows that they might have and that any company has, you know, whether it's Roll20, you know, or like whatever, like they need to be showing that this game is truly for everybody, which is something that every company says, but you got to show it, you know? So I think that, you know, um, you know, our show is a good starting point. Um, but my hope is that that thought process and that want to showcase different kinds of people, you know, is something that's going to lead to, you know, public facing things. You know, I've obviously, you know, when like I first saw like the Ravnica book and it had a woman of color on it, I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, so like all their public facing things from source books to characters to people that you have like you know uh like on your uh youtube videos on things like dnd live on that kind of stuff like that's the stuff that needs to be you know really uh you know having the faces out there that are you know um from different perspectives so i think that, that that's something that they've made some strides um but they need to continue to you know they have a lot of work to, to do um i know that they put out a call for like a diversity and inclusion like position 
Um, and I've said this like publicly, like they need to have a marginalized person in that position, like intentionally, mm-hmm. you know, like you need to be very intentional about it and don't say, well, we didn't have anybody apply. So we, you know, chose this white guy that's very passionate about it. Like both optically and like in terms of instituting real change, like you have to be intentional about this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think that they made some strides, but, um, well, for a one, it was kind of a low bar from where they made the strides from. Uh, but, um, you know, there's a long way to go, a long way to go. And it has to be consistent and intentional, um, you know, to be able to get to like a place where, you know, people feel more comfortable. And I understand that some people aren't going to be there. Like some people are going to be like, I'm so far gone. There's nothing you could do to bring me back. And they have to realize that and own that, you know, like, Hey, like we messed up on these things. And there are some people you, you will never get back, you know, but if you really care and are passionate about the people that are there and for the people that, um, you know, uh, that don't know about like DND and stuff. So. Yeah. And, and, uh, Elvin wizard King in the chat even mentioned as you were talking about that, that there have been, uh, that same sort of split has happened in a lot of the streamed games that uh, a lot of the streams that have been playing D and D have, have moved to other games. And, and, and I imagine, um, your, your comments sort of apply to that situation as well. Like you can totally understand why, why some streams would move away mm-hmm. and do something else and some, uh, stick with it. And that's a, that's a tough choice to make sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an individual choice for everybody, you know. Um, and, you know, like, you know, as of now, like, Rivals is still on, you know, on the D&D channel. But if people uh, left the channel or they said, like, you know, like, we love you, but we can't support you because you're on this channel, I'm like, I can't argue with them. You know, like, I'm like, hey, like, everybody has their own choice to make, you know. Um, it's an unfortunate thing, but, you know, we are in a position where people will make their choices. And I think, you know, for a company, you know, like Hasbro and like Watsi, you have to make very intentional, consistent, like decisions to, you know, um, really walk the walk, I guess, you know, in, in terms of all the public statements that they put out, like they look good on paper, but you got to walk the walk. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is um, I, I will believe it when I see it. Um, and so I'm very hopeful. I think the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement um, has has really spurred a lot of conversations, um, and that's good. You know, so I have a lot of hope because they're they're trying and they're making the right steps and the right moves. Um, I will believe it when I see it, and I I firmly believe that there needs to be systemic change from the the, the topmost position and down. You know, I think those conversations need to be had at every level. Um, so I hope they do that. And I hope that, you know, whoever they bring on really does make impactful change. So I'm jaded, but hopeful. I feel that. (laughs) I feel that. (laughs) You know, like uh, I've mentioned before that, you know, I've written a lot of stuff for like Paizo and Pathfinder. And they just came out with a short story for what they call like their iconic characters. Basically, they have recurring characters that are associated with each of their classes in the game. And the iconic investigator, uh, who is from the first edition, is now reprising the role in second edition, is a uh, black man named Quinn. And so uh, traditionally, you know, Paizo has always written their stories in staff 
staff, you know, and their staff is mostly white. And uh, they just released their new, like, uh, they're calling them, like, encounter uh, tales, where it's the iconic doing something in their class. And so this one is, like, a murder mystery. And uh, the the first time ever, as far as I'm aware, they got someone who was off of their staff who is, uh, I think, uh, he's, he's definitely a person of color. I don't know much about him, but his name is Brandon O'Brien. And uh, they got someone who could speak to Quinn's life experiences much better. And so, like... Uh, at least to me, I see that in addition to Paizo, there are other companies that are out there that are doing the right things. All Wizards of the Coast really needs to do is watch, and they need to keep doing it. You can't just do it once and call it done. It's got to be a permanent change to how that system works. And until you know, I, until I see that, I their words are hot air. Like, okay, you, you promised me that you were going to do this thing. You promised your community you were going to do this thing. So do it. And if you can't do that, then your words didn't matter at all. You know, you were just trying to place a, a, a community that's upset and hurt by the things you've done. So I work in tech, which often has very, I think, similar issues across many things. But one of the things that's kind of speaking to me right now is one of the things we have in my profession is we are often putting people into the pipeline, particularly women, but also uh, to a lesser degree, unfortunately, uh, a lot of uh, people of color, particularly uh, black folks. Um, and then we get them into this pipeline and then we see that they leave because uh, we do the introductory stuff, the things that make them feel um, at least neutral, right? We're not, oftentimes we're trying to make it so they're no longer unwelcome, but that's separate from welcoming and helping them thrive. And so I feel like a lot of the changes we made were the necessary, very little intro ones. And I'm not saying that they were great or we did every, like they did everything that they needed to do, but the, that, that ability to keep the folks here is what's to me like so missing. And it's probably where the next step needs to go eventually. Um, I don't know how other folks feel about that, but that was one of the things that I was just thinking about listening to what everyone else was saying. Yeah, I'm, I mean, that, that's what I talked about earlier. I mean, I worked in tech for 15 years. I'm an engineer. You know, I was one of the few engineers of color in my college, and there were a lot of people that started and left for that same reason. There was no support. You know, there was stuff going on on my campus that was like super racial and super stuff. And I remember going up to a professor and saying, hey, like, this is what's going on. And the professor was like, deal with it. Like, like we're engineers, like we deal with stuff, you know, it's the same thing. If you have stuff going on and you try to go to your boss or HR department at your uh, company, you know, if you don't have those perspectives or if diversity is not something that is instilled in that company on like how to support people that might have issues that you don't personally have lived with, you know, that's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to take it to like uh, keep people. You know, and yeah, you're you're right. It's a huge problem in tech, um, you know, other industries as well. But I know specifically as an engineer that worked at several at like several companies as a data analyst, as a electrical engineer and like other stuff for sure. That's something that is uh, a problem. So I have sort of two wrap up questions to, to finish our, our conversation uh, today. Um the first question is, uh, and obviously, based off of what I've been hearing so far, the the answer is 
it sounds like from most people the answer is going to be, you know, it's kind of a decision you have to make. But uh, it goes back to what somebody said in the chat earlier of, so is, is the game savable? Is D&D worth sticking with? Um, or is it time to jump ship and try out all the other? I mean, there's some fantastic games out there. There's, there's a lot of wonderful creators in the, in the indie space. There's a lot of other companies, um, some with similar problems that we don't notice as much because they're smaller companies. But, um, uh, but there's other options, right? So, so how do we feel about the, whether or not people should sort of stick with the game or, or go on and try something else? Well, I don't think you should ever stick with the game regardless of – even if all this stuff was solved and it was a perfect company, I don't think you should ever stick with one game. I think one thing that's beautiful about like table, tabletop is there's so many different systems. You know, Like uh, Alex said earlier, D&D is like a combat-heavy system. While they've added some more like role-play elements in, in like 5th edition, it's still – you know, when you look at the work that they put into the mechanisms and the design, it's still a lot about skills to level up like your combat. So there's plenty of systems that are the, the complete opposite, you know. Um, so I would highly advise you to look at other systems regardless of how well you think that Watsi and Hasbro are uh, doing. Um, you know, uh, as far as will D&D survive, is it salvageable? Yeah, of course. Um, th they're a behemoth. Um, there's, there's plenty of people that play and don't care about any of the stuff that we're talking about. Um, I don't think they're in any danger of going away. Um, um, you know, I think that as far as whether an individual is willing to like play or not, I say, if you don't want to play it, there's so many other options. I promise you, nobody that really cares about this stuff will take it personal. <laughs> you know, if you're not playing the system that they like. Like I care that people want to do like tabletop. I don't care that they, you know, because rivals plays like D and D that like you have to love D and D or else I'm not going to play with you. I'm like that to me is like a very petty and like you know kind of immature way of thinking about it. So um, I think you should always be checking out other stuff. There, there's always cool stuff in like other systems, and you shouldn't close yourself off and only support one. One of the things I think about with this is. It depends on what your goals are and what you're trying to accomplish because on one hand it would be easy and I think about comics a lot with this because there's always the question of like well you know why do we uh, reinvent Thor becomes a woman the title is held by a woman for a while like why do we bother to do that why don't we just create some new character and for at least from my experience the, the issue I often see is that if we want to create a new character that has a marginalized identity and often but from marginalized creators, that marginalized is an important thing to remember, right? Like there, there are going to be systemic and other things that make it hard for that character to succeed in the same way that these other ones that have history and gravitas have. Um, so we can do that, but it's really, it's, it's like, highly unlikely that they will grab the wide range uh, of imagination right away. It's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of resources that often these often aren't put to those types of characters. So it's just not going to happen. Or we can try to make room in these already mainstream things that already have people's consciousness to help 
bring in a larger audience that thus gives us the resources and everything else um, to, to affect change, which is hard. It's that classic argument of do you make change from within or change from without? And oftentimes I feel like you have to do both. And that's why it's important to try to save or and save such a hard loaded word, but try to make these this um, space within a mainstream thing while hopefully also feeding a larger um, economy of games. And of course, I acknowledge that that also means that we're not putting those resources in that games, in those games. So that that's just a hard decision and it comes down to what you're trying to do and where your talents are at the time. So I agree with uh, Sharif uh, a lot, actually. I think that if you don't want to play D&D anymore, awesome. Because uh, frankly, change doesn't happen without pressure. And so if a lot of people choose to leave D&D, that puts pressure on them. If you choose to stay, that's legit too. But if you choose to stay and you don't put that pressure on them while staying, you don't challenge them, you don't call out the toxicity, then you're kind of just proud of the problem. So if you choose to stay, then you need to make sure that you make it, at least in my opinion, you need to make sure you make it your effort to work with other people who want to see the game change for the better. And together, both of, because both of the people who choose to leave and stay are, are trying to accomplish the same thing. They want this game to be better. And it's just one group wants to do it by not involving themselves, with it, which is legit. You're, you're joining a game because you want to have fun and relax and you don't want to be reminded of things that are problematic in that time. And that's cool. But uh, I do think that if you choose to keep playing the game that you have an obligation to know, oh, these parts of these things are problems. And when Wizards of the Coast continues these problems, call them out on it. Yep, I, I agree with all of you. Um, look, is, is D&D going away? No, it's not. Is D&D salvageable? Depends on your definition of salvageable. I don't think D&D is salvageable. I think it's broken from the from the very base, right? It, the problems are baked into the foundation. Um, so to me, it's not. But it's not going away. Um, so, you know, I, I completely empathize with the people that don't want to play. And I know I don't want to play D&D anymore. Um, there are so many incredible indie games out there. There are so many people of color putting together just the most incredible stuff. They've got the safety tools baked in. They've, they're doing such amazing work to bring out the most innovative things that I have ever seen. And it's such a shame that they don't get more more love. And I think really indie games take a take a break from D D. Take a take a one month break from D D and just go check out some indie games. I swear to goodness, you won't go back to D D. And if you do, that's fine. But you know, like sometimes I think people are surprised to hear this as a as a D and D podcast who's been talking about D and D for for fourteen years or, or more, right? Uh, I absolutely encourage the exact same thing. In fact, we are in the process. We've actually already recorded. We have a new show coming out called SideQuest that uh, is being hosted by Quinn Murphy, uh, and the whole idea is we're going to do a little ac- actual play and a little discussion about all of these other indie games and and, and various things that aren't D and D that D and D players maybe should be interested and go check out and, and um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we have one episode in the bag and, and I'm hoping to get another one or two in, in the can before we start putting things out but we've got one done and, and it's going pretty well. Uh, Quinn's very passionate and excited about it so Alright, my, my final question then, um, and, and I don't imagine it'll be a horribly difficult question to answer, but I also know that we have, uh, we have time and, and I want to be 
cognizant of, of other people's commitments and, and what have you. Um, so I wanted to, to ask at the, the finish off here, um, why does it matter, right? It's D&D. Why does the issue of diversity and inclusivity in a, in a tabletop role-playing game, uh, why does it matter? And I think we can all assume that everybody here believes that it does matter. But I think it's worth articulating for people watching and listening why it matters. Oh, man. This is the last question? Damn. <laughs> Final thoughts. Go. <laughs> it's like just putting the essay question at the end. <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, what we what we play and what we interact with influences our lives, right? Um, I, I don't want to play in things where I'm hurting other people that are of other races. I don't want to do that. Um, it's when you recognize and you see where everything comes from and the, and the really problematic nature of things, it's just not, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I guess it's art influences life is what I'm trying to get at. If that makes any sense. Um, yeah. and you know, the, the stuff, definitely is it's you know it, it normalizes it and that's the other problem is it normalizes it and it makes it okay um oh it you know oh it's you know i, I don't say this kind of stuff outside but i can say whatever i want at my D table no it doesn't work like that you know um and there are marginalized people that are being hurt by the things that are being said and that are impacted when they play D because they can't get away from the stuff that they have to deal with in their real life it's not an escape for them it's not fun for them um so i think there's a lot of a lot of reasons why it does matter. You know, it's you're, you're losing out on an amazing audience of people that are diverse and intersectional just because, you know, you don't want to fix your stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll repeat what I said before, like you want the best products, you got to have the diverse people, especially for a product that is explicitly about storytelling. You want the best stories. You want everybody to have a similar experience. No. You want people that have all different kinds of experiences from race, gender, class, from sexuality, from country of like origin, like, like you want people that have all different kinds of perspectives. So it's always important, I think, especially if you are a company, but specifically when your product, you're delivering storytelling, like, like a mechanism for people to tell awesome stories. The, and if you want the most awesome stories out there, it's going to come from the most diverse set of people that you can have. So that's why it matters. It's like the core of what tabletop RPGs are about, what gaming is about. Uh, I want to echo Leona because I really agree with her. Um, I think that, you know, years ago, things like Gamergate really showed that games can be a way for hate to spread that violence towards real people starts in the type of content that we consume. And I think that if we don't do a good job of making sure that uh, hateful ideas aren't seeded in people through uh, innocuous means, that they're just going to get worse. And I think that, you know, if you... I, I hate to say it, but when you look at these types of issues, they really do start in these really quiet, insidious ways. You know, nobody it starts, you know, being as hateful as some of the things we've seen in the past three years from 
just out of nowhere. Like these ideas get planted and they grow and they get reinforced. Uh, I am, I, I'm a, I'm studying to be a behavior analyst. And so these types of like from, uh, from behavior analysts these types of things just get compounded the more that we're exposed to them and the more that those ideas are saying, yeah, this is, this is totally right. And by publishing it, like your favorite game, putting it in their game, that's just, that's just growing that. And I think that we need to be better so that we're not hurting people. And building off, I think on what on many of you were saying, uh, sorry, I'm trying to think the best way to put it. Um, or a way to put it, uh, storytelling is incredibly important, not only because um, it's fun and and it's important to tell stories in a way that don't hurt each other, but also it's one thing I heard a lot when I started uh, blogging and I started in the community and, and talking is like, there's this huge appetite for people to be able to explore other paths uh, through role play, and that's like one of the nice things that role play can, uh, in, at least in theory, give people. So, and this could be as simple as, you know, somebody's of a particular gender. We live in a c- country that is very, you know, has a lot of gender roles, and particularly uh, in our past has been very strict and rigid about it. So, if you ever wanted to explore, like, why is it that somebody has, you know, the this woman at my job has a totally different viewpoint than I do on something. Maybe if I can walk in their shoes a little bit, that would help me. So there was an appetite for that sort of thing. And there's also just practical ones of people who maybe have been forced to live something that's not their true experience, being able to start exploring that through stories and through role-playing games rather than in the really scary, super scary and high stakes real life. And so both of those are are things that role-playing games can help with. But if we don't do the work to make it possible in our games for those things to happen, what we're really going to do, going back to what Alex was just saying, is reinforce the status quo and reinforce some things that are probably really hurting and harming other people. And to me, that's one of the biggest reasons why I care so much about trying to save this or make it better is because I think those are really important. And I don't, other than fiction books, we don't get a lot of ways of being able to uh, see into other paths or in movies and stuff like that. But fiction, again, you know, is somebody else has written it. And here we actually get to try to make decisions and think about the things ourselves, which I think is a, a whole nother level of it. No, I think that's, I think those are all absolutely um, important ideas and important points to make. I I have tried very hard uh, in this recording as easily the, the most privileged person in, involved in this process to to listen, right? I'm, I'm trying to ask questions and I'm trying to listen and not talk very much, but I do think it is incredibly important to consider um, how to move forward and how to make progress and, and why this stuff matters. Uh, because and maybe it's my perspective as, as somebody who's been involved in social studies education for a long time, right? The stories we tell uh, about ourselves and the stories we tell in general reflect on who we are as a people and who we're going to be. And I don't think it, it can be denied that D&D as a game has had that kind of influence on on culture. Um, it shows up in other storytelling mediums and, and you know people who have never – picked up a D20 are still experiencing narratives that have been impacted by this game. Uh, and so I think it's, uh, I think I agree that, that what this game does, um, 
has wider range and wider reach. And that is why I think it's important to have this conversation and why uh, I invited all of you to, to join us for this. And I appreciate you uh, coming on and, and doing this with us. So. And I think this is probably a good place to go ahead and, and wrap up our episode. We'd like to say thank you to our guests. Alex, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me at nodirectionpodcast.com where I do a bi-weekly blog. Uh, the, yeah, they have different names. One is called Guidance. The other one is called The Dev Pit where I talk about different things in the game in, uh, industry and uh, how to make your game as good as it can be. Awesome. And Leona? You can find me on Twitter at the Leona Maple. Uh, I am a intersectionality consultant and a sensitivity reader, and I would love to help you make your projects more inclusive and intersectional. Awesome. And Sharif? You can find me at SharifJackson.com, at Sharif Jackson on Twitter, or on Rivals of Waterdeep um, on the D&D channel. Awesome. And we'd also like to say thank you to all of us who support us by being patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find Tracy on Twitter. She is at Sarah Dark Magic. That's Sarah with an H. Uh, going back to her fourth edition roots with the Dark Magic name, right? Uh, I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. The podcast is at The Tome Show. Um, yeah, I think that's how you get a hold of us. And, and tweet us to get uh, the link for the Discord as well. And go join us and, and have some conversations over there. Yeah, definitely. And that's episode 342, where we discuss issues of diversity in D&D in this episode of... I'm also lost.